The following programme is a repeat of The Farm Show, which airs Thursday nights on KCLR from 7. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. This is The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you with thanks to TierlawnFarmLife.com. You're very welcome to the Farm Show. On the programme tonight, we hear from the IFA presidential candidates and they argue as to which of them should get the job elsewhere. Organic farming on the rise. We hear all the details. And we have an interview with a man who spent many of his formative years going to school in Kilkenny. More and on. The hustings, the election hustings for the IFA presidency are in full swing. Last week uh, they were down in Goresbridge for the Carlo Kilkenny event and there's a whole series of them going on across the country with voting starting at the beginning of next month and under a new procedure which we won't go into. It's, it's incidental to this. But I'm delighted that Francie Gorman and Martin Stapleton, the two contenders for the IFA presidency, were able to come into the KCLR studios and chat to me. I want to begin immediately by asking both of you, and in alphabetical order, if no, for no better reason, I'll ask Francie Garman. Um, what do you think you'd bring to the role, Francie? Well, firstly, I have great belief in IFA. Always had from the day I joined it as a member, from the time I started going into the county executive. And I believe what I'll bring to the role over the next four years is a proactiveness that we've lost over the last number of years. And I'm not going to be critical of people who went before me. I think it's something that we've slipped into. And I want to restore the credibility of IFA as a, a, a strong political force representing farmers. I want people who are disillusioned with the organisation um, to uh, uh, be, at the end of my four years, that they will have said that they'd like to be back members of the organisation, that they feel they rep- that I would represent them well as a president. That's not the case at the moment. There's a lot of farmers disillusioned out there with IFA, primarily because we haven't taken a proactive approach on a lot of the issues. And we seem to be on the sidelines, um, waiting to see what happens. And when you have particularly uh, an issue like the Nitrace Directive, that's uh, hugely, hugely um, important in this area, um, and the effect it has on farm income, we didn't, we weren't proactive enough about that. In 2022, the department announced that uh, reduction in stock and rates pending water quality, and the first we knew about it was a month later. That's an example of where we need to be more proactive. And if I'm elected president, that's what I want to do over the course of my four years. Yeah, we'll get into some of those issues. Your course from from Leash, Martin Martin Stapleton. You're a Limerick man, a Limerick farmer. What do you think you'd bring to the role? I am Matt, a Limerick farmer, um, and I, I suppose what I'm going to bring to the role is my experience of the last eight years working at the forefront of IFA. Uh, I'm going to bring a keen focus on delivering for Irish farmers. I think I've done a lot of that over the last eight years, and I'm going to bring that to the very front of, of the role as president. Uh, I'm going to bring a sense of the need for us to prioritise what's really important, to focus on what's possible to achieve, to focus on building better relations with everybody that we have to deal with, our food purchasers, our government, the European Union, uh, and and bring back a sense of respect for the IFA by the public at large and a sense of respect for its mem- a better sense of respect that the members have for the IFA as well. Okay, let's continue that then, because by by definition, priorities can can only be a few headlines. W- what are your priorities? What would your priorities be if you were IFA president? Well, I mentioned the respect. Um, a, a big focus on respect again because I think that's become the top issue the number one issue for Irish farmers 
Uh, the next one is unity. I think that we we have got to focus once again on all that we have in common rather than this this focus or this conversation that on goes about which sector is doing best and which area of the country is doing best and which even which farming organisation is doing best. Unity is important because without it, we won't be strong as an organisation and without strength, we can't deliver. I also want to bring a real priority around our freedom to farm. In the, in Inside every farm gate, there's a real need for a farmer to have a freedom to choose what he wants to do. And if government want to change what farmers do, I think farmers need to be incentivized to do that and supported to do that change, not forced. I think, you know, we met, we had the privilege of meeting the US Secretary of State earlier on in the year, and he just said, in order to get farmers to achieve, you've got to motivate them. It's all carrot, not stick. And I think I want to bring that into focus. And again, a support or a focus on insofar as we can, making sure we get proper returns from the marketplace uh, and proper uh, division or proper assignment of the supports for farmers as well, because I don't think we do that well at all at the moment. Francie, delving further into that prioritisation issue, what would you like to have achieved if you became president and were finished in four years' time? What would you say, I look back and those are, those are what I achieved? I think, well, my, my focus, my 100% priority would be income. It all comes down to income. Across every policy that we engage in the department or we engage in the European Union with, how it affects farm income. And there's not enough emphasis placed on uh, how these policies been implemented affect the cost of production at farm level and processor level. And I mean, if it affects uh, uh, cost, cost uh, base at processor level, the one, the one group that's going to pay for that is farmers. So uh, it comes back to being proactive about whatever policy um, is, is, is we're discussing at the time. We've got to be prepared to put our ideas forward, get in under the table, make sure that those ideas are taken on board and not be continually waiting for the Department or the European Union to come forward with a policy and then try and kick the kick the stuffings out of it, for the want of a better word, when it's too late. At that stage, you're tinkering around the edges. edges. And if you look at the current cap reform, uh, our President Tim Cullinan has already taken part in meetings and discussions around the current cap reform um, over the last two or three months. There's probably a window of opportunity there for the next two years for us to seriously influence the policies our government are going to take to Brussels. It's uh, to and fro on how they feed over and back. And if we miss that opportunity and those those policies go to draft legislation, we're back in a situation again where we're only tinkering around the edges of those. And I mean, I, I'd reference a proper environmental uh, uh, scheme that farm, we haven't had one since Reps 3. And farmers need to be paid for, for achieving environmental ambition. And that's not happening at the moment. What they're doing is they're raiding the current cap policy uh, to fund underfunded environmental ambition. That money should be coming from elsewhere. Cap money should be supported to uh, help farmers produce food in a sustainable way, but also to meet the environmental ambition on their farms. And that's not happening at the moment. And until we're prepared to get in there and put our ideas down on paper, get in there and stand and, and be prepared to stand up from when you go outside uh, uh, afterwards and sell them to your own farmers, we're going to lose out. Martin Stapleton, protest versus negotiation. Where would the priority be? Is there still a place for street protest? There is, Matt. But if you say protest versus negotiation, protest is what comes when negotiations fail. Uh, and and it's more difficult for protests to work. They have become very, very commonplace. Um, 
it, it, the focus, if you go back to the focus in, on negotiation, this is where real progress can be made. And, and that negotiation, strength of negotiation, from my point of view, comes about from having respect for for the, the IFA by whoever you're negotiating with, um, and bringing an idea, bringing confidence from whoever you're negotiating with that the idea that the IFA can bring, that they can sell back at home, and the credibility that the IFA need to have with the Irish public. You can't negotiate from a strong position if the people you're negotiate, negotiating with don't see you as somebody whose support, whose voice is really, really important. That's the biggest changes we have to make in order to be effective negotiator. No, you, you, that- unity of purpose, Martin, was mentioned. Is it possible for IFA to continue to be all things to all farmers? Necessary. Necessary, Matt. Because without us as an organisation representing farming and the agricultural and industry farmers who work in the agricultural industry, we don't have the strength and we'll end up competing with each other. So it comes back, in my opinion, it comes back to us making hard decision inside in our own community around what's really, really important. Francie's spoken there about the next cap. The real challenge for us as farmers as we face into the next gap is to decide as farmers what we really want to achieve, where we want our focus to be. My focus has always been, and I would identify, vulnerable sectors, vulnerable areas, quality food production and environmental ambition. Those four are for me. But if, if farmers in negotiating with each other come to a different conclusion, that's fine. But that's the challenge, is what do we want to get from the next gap? Because we can't achieve everything that everybody has. Francie, isn't it really impossible to have unity of purpose when I can list off without even thinking about it half a dozen organisations representing or supposedly representing various sectors that were disunited and the government will, will, will ultimately laugh at farmers? Uh, Matt, look, it is a fair point, but the reason we have six or seven farm organisations there, and I can reference a couple of them in particular that have come to the fore in the last 10 years, is because we left a gap there. We weren't listening to farmers on the ground. We weren't representing them. And I think that's one of the key challenges the, the, that I will face when I'm elected president of IFA, is to be able to bring uh, a unity of purpose around the, the big issues of the day. I'm talking about the likes of the cap, cap negotiation, the likes of the environmental issue. They're the two biggest issues we face. And there's a lot more, we have a lot more in common than divides us, but we always seem to be focusing on the things that divide us. And if you go back to the, to the charter meeting when we pulled out of it earlier on in the spring, in May, in May I think it was, over the late payments of uh, supports this autumn, we met with no farm organisation till the morning we were protesting outside the Department of Agriculture in Dublin. That's that's backing ourselves and other farm organisations into the corner. It's not showing respect to other farm organisations either. So the first thing, we ha- it's a reality. There is six or seven farm organisations there now, whether we like it or not, and we have to work with it. And we've got to work in a way that on the big issues were united. And what should have happened there was we should have met those farm organisations in advance of uh, protesting outside the Department of Agriculture in Dublin. And look, I don't agree with uh, uh, one of the farm organisations passing us. They shouldn't have done that. No, no, Francie, that was a bad look. I, I mentioned yeah. it to the county chairman here, Jim Mulhall. It was. Justify jeering and heckling another farm organisation. It, it was, Matt. And, and Do you that, justify it? Uh, Do you condemn it? I don't condemn it and I don't justify it. It's a reality. And and that's what happens when you back yourself into a corner and you back other farm organisations into a corner. We should have met them long before that morning. 
and, and, and hope that that wouldn't happen. That's the point I'm making about being proactive in how you do your business and whether it's about dealing with other farm organisations or dealing with policy or dealing with internal issues in IFA or dealing with finances, whatever it is, we've got to be more proactive in how we do our business. Martin, you lead people onto the street. Surely you have a responsibility to ensure that they don't let the side down. And, and that to me is what happened that day. To a certain extent, Matt, I agree. Uh, IFA protests, by and large, and those I've been involved in over 20 years, have always been respectful of uh, the guard instructions on the day and also been courteous to everyone we've met along, along the way. Um, like what happened that day was certainly re- regrettable. I, I, I have a strong sense as well we'd be far better off if we didn't find ourselves in a situation where one farming organisation was... Uh, walking past another farmer organisation's protest but the reality is things were said that day to fellow farmers that should not should not have been said IFA priorities is correctly I believe economic sustainability but there is a reality that three quarters we saw the figures on the on the, on, on the journal there recently three quarters of dry stock farmers are unviable economically and becoming more so, I would suggest, because we are more and more dependent on government or EU subventions. And, and that's not, to me, a definition of sustainability. Am I correct? Well, there's a whole lot of different uh, definitions of su- sustainability, Matt. Um, does a farm have to be able to generate an income for one person or for an entire family? Or does a farm have to supplement an, in- an off-farm income? All three are working really well in this country and, and providing really uh, decent lives and livings for people 100, over 120,000 farmers in this country. Um, so I don't, I don't go along with the notion that just because a farm might be small size or might be operating in a, in a sector that has low margin, that it's unviable. And if you were to ask me what is the biggest threat to viability in most farms at, at this moment in time, it is succession and the lack of young people willing to commit to a life in agriculture and a lot of that if you, when you talk to young people and I do a big part of it comes from the fact that they don't feel there's enough respect for farmers and, they, and they're, they're attracted in because it's easy, there's easier money and easier hours in other sectors of the economy at the moment that mightn't last but as a whole succession is a huge issue for farming in this country I put the same question on sustainability to you, economic sustainability, yeah. that by, by its very definition, in my view, we're going in completely the wrong direction. We're becoming a dependency sector. Well, the reality is, particularly in the beef side of the house, um, if you want to be able to compete with beef coming in from Brazil or Argentina or Uruguay, where they have uh, limitless amounts of land available to, to farm, they show a flagrant disregard for the environment, they have cheap labour, they use hormones... We can't produce our beef to those standards in this country. We're regulated. We're regulated in a way that we can't use hormones. We have standards. Uh, we have uh, standards around environment, land availability. So, if we want a beef industry in this country, we're going to have to be prepared to support it. And that's that's those figures that Chagas came out with during the week doesn't surprise me because I see my own farm at home, Suckler Beef and Sheep Farm. My supports have been halved since two thousand eight. So how do you how can you expect somebody to stay in business when you're in a sector that needs the support with the supports been pulled to the level that they have been and we're subject to environmental regulation we're in subject to uh, uh, animal welfare regulation the availability of land to us has been limited massively by European policy over the last uh, ten years 
No point in blaming dairy farmers for it. Its policy has driven it in that direction. So if they want a beef industry in this country and you won't have a beef in a dairy industry without a beef industry, it's going to have to be supported. And we're heading down the wrong direction here. They need to support the beef industry in a way that they haven't been prepared to do over the last 10 to 15 years. That's part of a longer conversation we had with the two candidates and you can get that online. The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. Over the next couple of weeks, the question, is organic conversion an option for your farm, will be explored at a series of seminars running up and down the country. There's one happening locally at Kildalton next week. And to hear all the details, I'm joined by Arla Walsh of Chagask. Arla, you're going to be busy. We are, Matt. We are. Um, look, we'll have a busy few weeks ahead, but we're looking forward to it. Um, I suppose the background to myself, I'm a newly appointed organic advisor covering the Kilkenny Waterford region. Um, interest has been good. Like you said, we have our upcoming information meeting in Kildalton next Tuesday night. So that's Tuesday the 23rd at 7pm in Kildalton. In that, we'll be discussing the new organic farming scheme, the steps to conversion, the interactions between the organic farming scheme and acres and also the from a sustainability side um what maybe it would mean for your farm to switch to organic farming yeah as a general observation before we get into the details of the seminar orla would it be fair to suggest that for a, a lot of farmers the jump to organics wouldn't be an enormously high uh, or challenging jump that you know with a few tweaks to the system over a couple of years the conversion could be could be fairly smooth correct matt yeah for a lot of farmers the, the transition to organic is extremely smooth because practically they're farming organically already reducing your your chemical input so a lot of farmers last year went down that route when the when the cost of fertilizer you know rose that they looked at alternatives they looked at reducing fertilizer and going that route practically don't use chemicals as it is, no pesticides, herbicides. So they're practically already there. So they may as well be recognised for it. So it probably is is the biggest concern that a lot of farmers would have is how will I grow my grass without without an input? But, you know, slurry and farming manure are the key inputs there. And a lot of organic farmers are doing it very successfully, I suppose. What considerations do you need to, to consider if you are thinking of, of organic farming? Stocking rate. So maybe look, maybe you do need to reduce your stocking rate slightly to adjust your system to, to grow an organic enterprise. Soil fertility is obviously key, whether you're a conventional or organic farmer. It's, it starts in the ground. So having your soil fertility correct and, you know, lime and things like that are still permitted. It's very easy to, to do it well as an organic farmer with good soil fertility and Farmed manure is one of the key things that will improve your your soil fertility, and you know it's a it's a homegrown source of fertilizer. Housing requirements is probably another consideration. So in organics, the requirement is for a 50% solid straw bedded floor. So you can't have animals on 100% slats. So for example, a cow has a requirement of six meters squared. So three meters of that must be provided by a solid straw bedded floor so three meters can be slats but three meters must be solid so i suppose that's a consideration that some farmers considering organics will have to look at maybe the housing will need to be modified slightly but if that is you know under the organic capital investment scheme which is the terms for organic farmers they can qualify for up to a 60 percent grant to do these modifications so the options are there the veterinary is a key thing as well there probably is a misconception in in organics that oh 
you know, how will I treat a sick animal? If an animal is sick in organics, it's treated the same way as if it was in conventionally. Animal welfare is key and forefront. It is permitted to use a veterinary treatment. So, for example, if an animal is sick, it is allowed a full course of antibiotics to restore it to full health without losing its organic status for beef production and two, if it's if it's a milking cow. So the options are there. It's not it's not as restrictive as, as I suppose it needs to be. The options are there. And I suppose the key thing for anyone considering going organic is to speak to either your local advisor or myself as someone that's already organically farming. So we had a very successful walk at the end of last month out on, in Cuffs Grange on the Sheehan's farm. So they are farming organically since 2005 and we covered the housing requirements, fodder budgets and growing an organic cereal crop. And that was very well supported. We've got a lot of traction from that and people inquiring, which is great. But something like that is key for someone considering organic is to go and speak to someone that's already doing it to get that bit of confidence that you need that you can farm organically and do it very successfully. Yeah, and that in itself uh, proves that it's a, a practical proposition uh, people who have been doing it over a long period of time because I, I would have had at the back of my mind uh, issues around the lack of ability to use crop protectants or weed control in grassland or whatever, but these are not insurmountable challenges, obviously. They're not. And if you speak to any organic farmer, they'll say it is a mindset change and you will you will have a certain element of weeds in terms of a crop. Like you mentioned there, the variety type is very important when you're selecting a variety that you select a good resistant variety. So that's again, is where it's very important to speak to your advisor. And in terms of grassland, there's plenty of other options rather than just reaching for the chemical option the whole time. So you have mechanical options and you're also using your livestock to mix grazing and things like that to overcome the weed burden. But, you know, a certain element of weeds is is normal. And in some cases, you know, a lot of organic farmers would say it's an indication of what's going on in the soil underneath. So they wouldn't fear a weed. It usually is, is kind of an indication for a farmer of maybe what the soil is lacking or what the soil needs in that sense. But it, it isn't it isn't a huge issue in terms of weeds and also rotations and things like that would, would be a key issue, would be a key tool for an organic farmer that you're, you're utilizing your rotations on the farm to overcome a weed burden that you have a good rotation in place and you have a plan. So a lot of farmers would would have grow a crop intermediate to break the cycle maybe of a weed. And that works very well. Same way a lot of farmers will be going down the route of the red clover in terms of building soil fertility. And that's a huge benefit for for farmers. And even say for someone that's considering going into organic tillage, you know, if you have red clover for a year or two and then go with your your tillage crops or something like maybe wheat, it's known that it does help to, to increase the yield because you do have the soil fertility built up there. Yeah, and of course, with the increasing adoption of red clover and white clover and multi-species swords, you're no longer going to be looking at that uh, pure sweep of ryegrass in any case on, on very many farms. Tell me now, this this meeting, uh, the local one, Tuesday the 24th, Kildalton Agricultural College, starting at 7pm, one of the big topics to be considered in any farming uh, enterprise, uh, no, 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 no more or less with organics, is financial considerations. Is it a paying proposition, Orla? It is, Matt. It is. The drivers of the growth in organics has been a number of things and the scheme is definitely one of them. So we expect the scheme to open in early November for applications this year. We're still waiting on confirmation of a date. The budget this year allocated 57 million to the organic farming scheme alone, which reflects the extraordinary level of interest that's in this scheme. A key thing to, to get the message across is that 
if you decide to go down the route of organic farming and, and apply for the organic farming scheme, the money that you receive under the organic farming scheme is an ex, a completely separate payment to your base, your Chris and all other aid that you may be receiving from the department. So it is a separate payment. It's an additional payment and it's a five year scheme. So you're signing up for a five year commitment, but the payment rates are very good. So for example, Matt, for a dry stock farmer, the payment rate up to 70 hectares is 300 euro a hectare in years one and two. And then in years three to five, that's 250 euro a hectare post-conversion. For tillage, it's 320 euro a hectare and 270 post-conversion. Dairy, 350 a hectare, 300 post-conversion. And for anyone in, in horticulture or considering an organic horticulture, the payment is exceptional. So 800 euro a hectare in years one and two and three and 600 euro a hectare in years three to five. So I suppose just to explain maybe what I mean there by post-conversion is in organics, it, it takes two years to become fully organic. So the first two years, you're known as in conversion. So basically what that means is you're adjusting your land, you're adjusting your livestock and you're adjusting your management systems that you are becoming an organic farmer. So it takes two full years before you are fully certified as an organic farmer. Now, in years one and two, you can you can still supply in conversion stock or, or, or crops in that sense. But it's in year three that you are fully organic. So how you, you go about that process then is you sign up with one of the organic certification bodies. So we have the Irish Organic Trust Association or Organic Trust. So they're the two certification bodies in Ireland. And what they do is they look, look after the certification and inspection side of things. So you sign up with those and they, they monitor your progress. And basically there's paperwork required there similar to if you're in Borbia. Now, that's uh, Arla Walsh describing an organic farm walk on in Piltown in the Kildalton College next Tuesday evening starting at 7pm and elsewhere tomorrow morning. In fact, the 20th, there's Getting Winter Ready. It's a Chagask AHI Autumn Beef Health Walk on Jimmy James Madigan's farm at uh, Derry Nahinch, Ballyhale, County Kilkenny. Back in a moment with a Wicklow farmer who spent a lot of time in Kilkenny. The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. Our next guest is a Wicklow farmer, a former MACRA president who spent several of his formative years in Kilkenny. Thomas Honor, you're very welcome to The Farm Show. Hello, Matt. Nice to talk to you. Thomas, uh, explain what brought about that strong Kilkenny connection and familiarity? Well... I suppose I have to go back to my parents uh, originally. Um, they both, at that time, only had a primary level education and they wanted their kids to have a second level education. My mother left school when her father got sick to go home to work on the farm with her mother. And my father probably had an adversarial relationship with books, the same as lots of young lads today and then as well. And um, he said he threw his, when he was 13, he threw his... Uh, books into the ditch and went off to work on uh, a trashing mill so yeah when they got married anyway they bought a farm uh, from a stand and start they never inherited anything and then when they got up into the 80s things were tough in the 80s for anyone who had loans or repayments to make and uh, yeah they felt that they needed to give their kids more opportunities and, and it was the common thing then in the 70s and 80s for kids to leave school after the inter or maybe even it was an achievement to do the inter so they made the decision anyway boarding school was what they were going to do 
I was the eldest and I was sent off to Kilkenny College in September 82. You, you, you got a very uh, quick induction course into what it meant to be in school or living in Kilkenny on, on your first night in, what was it, uh, the, the, what is now City Hall, but it was then Kilkenny College, jo- John's College, I think, by common uh, acclaim. Yeah, well, it's called John's because the boys used to attend John's uh, church across the road from the college, and it was called John Street then as well. So it was always called John's to, to everyone in Kilkenny. But um, my first night there, I remember the day very well. It's it's forty one years ago, and I remember it like like it was yesterday. Um, we watched the All Ireland final at home. We hadn't the television very long. We watched the All Ireland final, and we headed off to Kilkenny. And uh, Kenny had won the final that that year, and um, do you not remember? I'd never been further than Carlow before, and and coming on past Carlow and all, heading on down to Kenny, I'd never seen a round bale before. Like this is 1982, and coming down from Wicklow down into good country, and um, oh, it was a big adventure. Like I thought I was in Dallas when I seen all these fantastic farms as we went down along. But when I got to Kenny anyway, that night, oh sure, when my parents left, sure it was it was. Uh, an awful place to be like you know and um, across the, there's a weir below John's Bridge in Kilkenny and across the noise of the weir you could hear all the Kilkenny fans celebrating the, the win up on the parade I remember that night very very well all the noise and the, the razzmatazz and we were homesick in the college you know so you you immediately whether you were cheered up or depressed with the, all the cheering going on and you locked locked up for the night but listen um it's it's 50 years since Kilkenny College actually became a co-ed school prior to that it was all it was all male it was all boys and uh, uh ever since then and there's a big celebration happening at the weekend uh, to to commemorate the 50 years but of course the college itself goes back almost uh, 500 years uh, in in a few years time but at that time you were boarding in uh, John Street you had to walk up to uh, the the what is now Selbridge or Kilkenny College uh, up on the Comer Road but uh, you had to pass the mart in the meantime and an awful lot of you were farmer boys Oh a lot of, a lot of lads would have come in off farms and back then a lot of people had a connection with a farm even if they weren't farms you know and I remember distinctly like the attraction of the mark for us like and we walking up to play rugby or whatever we're doing up there and uh, the you know if it was a leak of a line of slurry along the road from a truck like you know lads would get homesick because of the smell of it like you know it was that was that was the culture like we were all rural rural farming types like you know and uh, you know you'd be counting the tractors like back in 82 like a forty or fifty horsepower tractor was a was a was a standard thing. Like you know, a one three five was still a good tractor then. So if you seen a two ninety, like you, you, it'd be the talk of the week for the lads. Like you know, ah yeah, the, the, the Leyland, the Leyland was the 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 the, the tractor of the adoption Le- for a lot of people. Oh Leyland, we had a Leyland as well. Man and Mike Phillips used to supply a lot of Leylands up into Wicklow as well. But um, yeah, the two seven two and the two six two was a great Kenny tractor at that time. And would you believe it? It was the first time I seen a fent. I, t- I say it was after my after my intercept before I learned to pronounce the word correctly. But uh, I'd never seen a fent before, and uh, I remember lads, Kenny lads, day two was talking about fence, and I thought a fence was something they kept in sheep, like you know. But uh, turned out anyway that there was a d in it that I couldn't I couldn't pronounce it. But you know, when you come from that, that's part of the education, you know, coming from a place where a farm. 
and uh, our focus always was, was work like you know yeah and, and uh, sir going to school was T- T- Thomas, whatever, whatever about exposing yourself to um, different agricultural practices or standards or climates in Kilkenny, it also exposed you to an awful lot of teenage girls. Well, well, yeah, going to a co-educational school is is a, a good thing. Like you know, for families, all their kids going to the one school is is a very good thing. You know, um, girls, yeah, when you're eleven and you're starting off in, in a in school, like girls are uh, slightly intimidating, like you know. <laughs> but then you work your way up through school, you get the sixth year, and then they are completely intimidating, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, hi, yeah. Let's not go into too many details now. You, you, you acclimatized to the. It's a good thing. Yeah, do we do? You do absolutely. It's good. It's good for. It's good. It's a good way to be educated. You have to learn to get on with folks, male and female, and all different kinds of folks, and. Uh, there's there's a big Ooh, celebration happening, place, Thomas, on uh, Saturday that I think you're attending. This this uh, fifty years of co-education, past pupils, uh, past uh, teachers, anybody and everybody that has at any association. A lot of the friends you made for life, I would suggest, uh, will be there. Indeed, indeed, it'll be a big celebration. It's something worth celebrating. Like, um, like. Uh, it was. I'm sure there was a lot of people who weren't in support of it when it happened first, but um, it has turned out to be a good thing. And uh, the college has developed significantly since that 50, in that fifty years, you know. Uh, so then it, it goes to show that a lot of good things have come out of that amalgamation of the two schools. Yeah, and of course, an awful lot of. Agriculture-related education, because of the profile of the students, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm reckoning by what I researched, there's as many girls as boys, for instance, at this stage doing agricultural science as a, as, as a course to leaving cert. Oh, there would be now. When I was in school, um, it was predominantly boys would have done it. There was a couple of girls who chose it, yeah, but it was predominantly male-dominated, and and uh, it was. Uh, a subject that a lad who was intending to go home would have taken, you know, and uh, I enjoyed it. It was a great subject. Yeah. A great practical subject, and uh, it sets you up for life. And, and, like, the first thing we learn in ag science is the composition of soil. Like, Origin Green has brought us back around to um, working at the basis basics of soil again, you know. So, yeah. it wasn't lost. It, it gave you a great... A, a great um footing for uh, your agriculture related career afterwards. Thomas enjoy Saturday and thank you very much for joining us this evening. Thank you Matt. Bye bye. Now we're heading straight across to Tullow for Eric's uh, sheep report. Another decent sale today in Tullow here with over 1500 sheep on offer and the trade resembling something very honest on last week there with a good heavy pledge lamp there top call at 152 today lots of lambs there over 140 but flesh is scarce flesh is scarce that's the common denominator here the last number of weeks here those flesh lambs are scarce and good activity there from butcher and uh, factory agents both online and ringside store trade here possibly dear than we had seen for the last week or two a few more store customers around the ring here and online there was lighter stores 30 to 32 kilos possibly the most dearest today there they selling there from 87 and 8 up to the quality lots up to 96 and 7 euros there and even one pen 31 kilos there making 101 euros. While you see the 34 to 38 kilos, they selling there from 97 and 8 euros 
up to 110, 12 euro there in some instances, and a very lively trade there with the 39 to 42 and three kilos, then forward store land. They sang there from 110 up to 124 and five, and overall a good clearance in all these classes. Cast Joe's, a good feeding yo there, selling from 130 to 150 a kilo with the heavy yo's up to close to two euros or in excess of 200 euro ahead. While you would see the brood trade then, the numbers here really start to finish. But Hoggett's there selling from 160 to 210 with age Joe's selling there from 120 to 150. And uh, we're all back again here again next Tuesday. Thank you. The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. KCLR Mart Report. Sponsored by Kilkenny Livestock Mart. Serving the farming community for over 60 years. George, it's been a long day on you. Thank you very much for coming in this evening. Not a bit, Matt. Uh, yes, uh, thirteen fifty cattle on offer. Uh, that's uh, somewhat bigger than last week, but Matt, the the weather is showing effects. Definitely in the cold cow division, some of the Frisian cold cows back as low as seventy cents once again. There's a lot of those lacking flesh. Uh, the better type uh, Frisian cow there would be uh, ranging in price there from about one twenty to one eighty per kilo, with the continents from one thirty five to two thirty five, and the plain cattle also definitely. Uh, showing effects of the weather and uh, therefore the prices wouldn't be wouldn't be as good as last week but the quality continental cattle are selling very well some of the good angus cattle are selling well too so if they're quality they're going to they're going to be paid for and they're going to get good prices 600 kilo plus bullocks 190 to 309 per kilo that's a price range there of 960 to 2040 per head 5 to 600 kilo 170 to 315 per kilo 810 to 1860 per head with a 4 to 500 kilo bullock from 160 to 325 per kilo that's 650 to 1570 per head with a lesser lights there, to, or should I say, they're under 400 kilo, 150 to 347 per kilo, or 480 to 1280 per head. A good price there would be 380 kilo, 1280, or 337 per kilo. Uh, the continental cull cows, as I said, 135 to 235 per kilo. Uh, the lesser Frisian uh, cows from 65 cent to 110 with the better types from about 120 to 180 per head. Beef heifers from 240 to 315 per kilo. That's 12.92 2400 euro per head a great heifer there 770 kilo making 2400 she was a belgian blue four store heifers from 220 to 285 per kilo 880 to 1380 per head and uh, the lighter heifer from 175 to 290 per kilo from 600 uh, euro to 1080 per head so a busy day Matt. yes and uh, as i said maybe a little bit tougher to to definitely uh, not maybe it was tougher selling the planer types but once again good quality cattle still uh, holding up remarkably well. Yeah, that's a, that at least is good news. But I mean, the reality is the weather has changed for the worse. Uh, cattle are unsettled, farmers are unsettled with the weather and all the other challenges. Uh, exactly, Matt. And as you know, the the factories have decided uh, why not? Uh, they're going to get a lot of cattle. They're they're, they're dropping quotes, etc. And this was remarkably. It, it was seen at, at one stage the martyring would be ahead of factory quotes in the in the cows specifically. But today uh, reality struck. So hopefully it mightn't be long. Hopefully it won't last long. But I think Matt. Uh, the, the number of cold cows coming out, it's a supply and demand situation. And as you know, if there's oversupply, 
uh, you know what the factories are going to do they're going to c- cut quotes absolutely and even for the the, the cows that will be going on for fattening I mean uh, at the kind of value that's being got for those animals if they're good and healthy and, 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 and capable of putting up flesh they'll nothing fatten as well as a healthy cow there's a lot of uh, farmers delving into that uh, uh, possibility uh, the butcher lamb on Monday at 135 to 165 per head the factories from 118 to 137 per head uh, the store lamb from 78 euro to 113 euro per head at the cast juice 64 to 160 euro per head we had a dairy sale mat and this was interesting calf region heifers from 1020 to 1400 euro per head those 1400 euros uh six months ago seven months ago i'd say they'd be making from 1800 to 2000 per head and the frisian heifers the the maiden frisian heifers Disappointing for, uh, to say the least, because these are good ABI, etc. They were lovely heifers. They were what? They were three fifty to uh, three fifty to uh, four hundred kilo, five eighty to six ten per head. Disappointing for those, Matt. And um, unfortunately, as you know, uh, confidence has left the dairy sector at this stage. Uh, people are worried. I suppose uh, naturally enough, uh, things were going very very well for quite some time, but now with the, the drop in uh, on, of the price of milk, etc. Uh, farmers are worried specifically in the end of the day and as you know yourself to feed cows Matt takes a lot of money yeah and there's some consolation for dairy farmers at the minute because on today's uh, news from Tierland they're holding the price on, on last month's pr- uh, price on the basis that international markets have stabilised whether they've hit bottom or not or, or just taking a breather I'm not sure but things appear to be going in the right direction and ultimately that will restore confidence around the martyring oh, as yeah, well yes Matt and, and it is important as I said okay you might say that some some, some people lost their under you know the price being peaked nearly 60 cent a litre Today it's under twenty, under thirty cents, should I say? So, like all in all, um, but as I said, I was talking to a man today who was running sucklers, and he said the dairymen should know there's volatility in every game, and we we know all about volatility. Um, we're looking for a shed out there. If there's anyone with a shed available for eighty to hundred cattle, be that straw, be that slatted shed, ring the mart and they'll give you my mobile number. This is uh, we're looking for urgently for eighty to hundred cattle. Um, we have also two pedigree bulls. They're four-year-olds. They're easy calving. Uh, they're from a dairy herd, but they have worked, and he has found them very easy calving. If there's anyone out there that's looking for for any of uh, those bulls about four years old, uh, Monday, of course, we have our sheep sale. Uh, weenie sale last Tuesday was very good, Matt. Uh, lot, uh, lots of customer quality stock. So if you have weenies, bring them out on the Tuesday. And uh, we were supposed to have a special suckler sale. Unfortunately, there's been a few blips in the in the uh, in the session. So we have only about twenty suckers on Tuesday. Uh, that will be kicking off about half twelve, one o'clock. And of course, our general cattle sale on Thursday. <laughs> Matt, today, God bless the farmers. That's all I say. Uh, we, uh, the Lions Club have had their duck derby on the last week weekend of September I was <laughs> I was selling ducks as, as the farmer said to me there's enough ducks around here to sell them to uh, but um, uh, they were very great support once again thank you thank you everyone and, and that's after our fundraiser for cancer so uh, farming community you give yourself a pat on the back uh, you should be proud of yourselves because you and don't forget coming up but hopefully you get something for your book will be the hamper appeal on this program of course the last Thursday in uh, November and the first Thursday in uh, December uh, that will be happening here. And with the help of Martin and yourself and a few more about, hopefully it will be as successful as other years. But as I said, the only difference about that, they do get something for their, for their, for their, uh, project, for their money. 
We're only five weeks away from what we always call the, the, the Christmas auction, but I promise we won't talk about it no, again no, until okay. after that's Halloween. Of course, At least get of course, something of course. out. I agree with that. I agree. Listen, with you've, that. Passed yeah. peak, uh, you've passed peak. You've passed peak March sales. I, I assume almost at this stage in terms well, of numbers. Hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> but maybe not. All right. Listen, Martin. Thanks very much for producing and engineering to everyone who participated. Thank you very much. Uh, for me, Matt O'Keefe. Until next week, farm well, farm safely. Good night and goodbye. The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com.